We've had a really good series, I think, over the last few weeks. Mark opened us up a couple of weeks ago with an absolutely fabulous, broad overview about what it looks like to be accountable to one another within the church and what it looks like to really be our brother's keeper and what that looks like to have friends that are trustworthy and can walk life with us. And last week, Scott talked about what it looks like to judge others or hold others accountable in the church. Um which was just a great opportunity for us to hear how to do that in love and gentleness. Um, And I've just really been struggling, to be honest. Um, I really was like, okay, here we go. This is not bad. Um, And I I sit and I'd look and I'd be like, man, why did Mark give me such a hard week to talk about? And then I realized... Mark didn't do this. I volunteered for this one this week. Um, And so I ended up with the nasty, dirty letter or dirty word, submit, this week. Um, Talking about submitting to accountability. You know, we will talk all day about judging and judging others, right? And how nobody ever has the right to judge us. We'll lay it out. We'll lay, oh, you should, you shouldn't judge. You, You don't or you do have the right to judge me. But really where that comes and then where that conflict hits the road is when, if we are being judged, are we really willing to admit or at least listen to what it is other people have to say? And that's where it begins to be really hard because sometimes we just don't want to hear what others have to say. Um, And so I think it's interesting, Leslie and I were talking this morning and um, she put me right at ease by saying, it's okay, you always get really weird about it. And I'm like, awesome. Just a good job of confirming my insecurities right before I have to go and talk this morning. Um, But, you know, really what it is is just that ability for me to practice what I'm preaching this morning. That ability for me to submit my own heart, my own pride, and my own desires for what God is saying to me and through me this morning. So if you guys don't mind, I would really love to pray before we get started. Jesus, we do come lifting you high and exalted. We do exalt you. We want to praise you. We want to honor you with every bit of who we are in all of our lives. It is absolutely amazing that you thought of us before the world began. You saw the day that we would fall from you. And we put ourselves in a place of desperately needing to be redeemed. And so we are begging you this morning, come lead us. Father, put us in a position that we can offer up our lives as a living sacrifice and that you would reign, that you would reign in every element of our lives, every every area, every corner that we try to hide and put aside. Father, just ask for your spirit to speak this morning, that it would penetrate hearts and minds, and that it would instigate lasting change. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us, especially those of us who are followers of Christ, would have no argument when it comes to being accountable to God. And um, one of the first verses I put up was Romans 14, and it says, But why do you judge your brothers? Or you again, why do you guard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall praise to God. 
So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. It's really interesting here, as we've been talking about judging, we've definitely seen that there are times in which people are to judge others within the church. But then we look at this passage in Romans 14, and we've got almost a contradiction. It says, don't judge one another. We're accountable to God. And that is absolutely true. We are accountable to God alone. But what's even more interesting to me about this particular passage is that it's not talking about judging right or wrong. It's talking about judging the things that aren't explicitly stated in the scripture. It's talking about, in this particular sense, talking about what to eat or not eat. And those are things that God had given people freedom to do, but others didn't feel that freedom. And so they were saying, don't be legalistic about what you believe is right or wrong. Wrong. Only take what God has said and don't judge the other things that people are doing that is not explicitly stated or given a foundation for in Scripture. And I thought, man, that's so interesting because whether it's whether or not it's we're being accountable to a person or a standard and whether we're going to listen to it or not, we all stand accountable to God. There is absolutely no submission with accountability. We can't submit without being accountable because by definition, if we're willing to yield to someone else, we are accountable to what they're asking us to do. However, Romans 14 says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. It does not matter if you are willing or unwilling to submit. At the base, we will all eventually be held accountable to God. But that's really not the big concern, right? If we're following Jesus, most of us would immediately throw out there, yeah, sure, I know I should follow and obey and submit to God. That's not something that we're going to argue about within the church. However, those same people who would say, well, I'm just going to follow God and I'm going to follow God what? My way say, I'm going to follow him what I think he's saying to me, and you don't have anything to say. That's where it gets sticky. That's where we start to say, well, I feel like I have this kind of freedom and this kind of freedom, and you can't tell me one way or another whether I do or don't. I really, really wanted to find a place that said, you must absolutely listen to everything everybody ever tells you. And it just didn't happen that way. But as we research and look through Scripture time and time again, we see that there is that opportunity to submit through rebuke and repentance and um, reproving and warnings and admonitions. I'm going to read several verses. The first one is Luke 17, 3. It says, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent... Forgive them. First Timothy 5.20 Those who continue to sin, rebuke in the presence of all. Rebuke in the presence of all. That's a little scary. So that the rest will also resist and be fearful of sinning. Second Timothy 4.2 Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. 2 Thessalonians 
3, 14 through 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Ezekiel 3.21 But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will have saved yourself. Titus 2.15 These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage, rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. And it just goes on and on, verse after verse after verse, about rebuking, encouraging, exhorting, reproving, warning other people. This is what you should do. Okay, no problem. And then it comes to Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Man, that's hard to hear, isn't it? But there's people who are just not confrontational, okay? Like you hear, go, rebuke, exhort, reprove, warn. You might yell at somebody who's about to roll off a bridge or go down a cliff, right? Right? Most people will easily warn somebody about those things, but very few will warn somebody when the path of their life is about to head into the ravine and there will be no rescue if they don't stop. We hide and we shy from that. But for every verse that has someone who is rebuking, reproving, admonishing, or warning, guess what? There's somebody on the other end receiving that rebuke that reproof, that warning, or that admonition. And I really, really wanted something to be like, hey, make sure you're listening to that rebuke. Make sure that you are taking heed of that warning. And Proverbs talks a lot about listening. But there's nothing here in these particular verses that's saying, hey, do this, do this. And I'm like, oh, I just want us to hear. And Proverbs several times, 17.9, talks about how listening will make you wise and how rebuke and accepting rebuke can help us avoid collisions. But for every time we are rebuking others, there's that person who has to recognize that they have to submit. And oftentimes that's us right? Oftentimes it's us that needs to hear that somebody is guiding or warning or admonishing us. And that is not fun. And what's even worse is sometimes I think Mark said it so well the other week when he said, sometimes it's the worst when it's coming from somebody that you don't even like, but you know they're right. I have a situation like that in my life right now where I am constantly being challenged really challenged to improve. And I have no doubt in my mind that the person is not seeking to destroy me. And I have no doubt in my mind that the person really is seeking not only my best, but the best of the larger community in offering correction and instruction. But you know what? I just have a hard relationship with this person. So every time he tries to tell me something, I just cringe a little bit and it's hard to hear. 
And not only is it hard to hear, it is really, really hard to submit to. I just don't want to do it because it feels like if I submit to them, then I'm really giving them a little bit of power and control over my own life. I do not want to give that up. It's really interesting, though. Sometimes sometimes we don't even see the warnings that we need or the rebukes. We think everything's just fine in our lives. Um, most of you know Don and Kim Stock. And you know that they run an adventure company. Um, And so several years ago, I was partnering with them. I may be about to out myself. I can't remember if I've told this story to my mom or not. So I'm sorry. Um, But um, we were working one day. We were doing training. And their adventure company is training up in the trees. Because you do traversing courses where you're going from one tree to the next on little skinny ropes. And you're clipping into different places. And... So I was up in the tree on a little um, five by five, maybe 10 by 10. It was a really small platform for being as high up in the tree as we were. And I was helping Don send people down the zip line, just learning how to clip them in and doing everything. And we had a moment of just stalling and waiting. So I was sitting there and I was harnessed in and I was clipped into the tree and I had a couple of different buckles on my harness. And I absentmindedly started playing with one of the harness buckles, just standing there. I don't know. We, I don't know why we were waiting, but we were waiting. So I had idle time on my hands, right? Nothing to do. So what do I do? I keep my hands busy by playing with the harness um, uh, belay system. And so I'm sitting there playing, and Don, I didn't know it at the time, but Don was standing there just kind of watching me, wondering what I was doing. And before I knew it, I had unclipped myself from the tree and so I'm standing on this little tiny platform maybe about the size of this carpet clueless about the situation I just put myself in right like I'm like hey no problem I'm just standing here watching people and then the next thing I know I'm unclipped but I'm not I didn't even know I was unclipped and then all of a sudden Don reaches over and he grabs me he puts both hands on my arm and he just grips really, really hard. He wasn't hurting me, but it was sure painful. Like it was, it was one of those, like, why are you squeezing me so hard? This is uncomfortable. And so I look and I look at his hands and I look at him and he's like, you've unclipped yourself. I'm like, oh, (laughs) let me fix that. You know? And so I clip myself back in and I mean, it was a walking carabiner, right? Like I had to intentionally unlock it to get myself off of that tree. And then I had to lock it back in. And I'm standing easily 30 feet in the air. If I didn't kill myself with the fall, I definitely would have broken or seriously harmed myself for the rest of my life. Really dumb. And I didn't even know that I was in danger. But Don, noticing I was in danger, at least took some action, right? He reached over and he grabbed me. And it was not comfortable. It didn't feel good. But who knows what would have happened if he hadn't have reached over and grabbed me from unclipping myself from the tree. It was very possible I could have just taken a step right off thinking it's no big deal if I hang out on the edge. Let's just see how close I can get. I'm clipped in. I'm safe. I've done this before. No problem. But I wasn't, and I didn't realize it. And oftentimes when we are walking through life, that's how we are. 
we're on a path and we think we're just fine. We think we're walking along and nothing's wrong in our life and we're, we're not hurting anybody else and nothing seems to be going on. It's just life. And then somebody comes along and they're like grabbing us and saying, you are on a path to destruction. And that does not feel good. It hurts and it's painful. But exactly like Colossians says here in chapter 1, it says, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present him complete in Christ. There is a goal that we're moving from when somebody in a loving spirit comes and tells us, hey, watch out. Watch where you are. Watch your step. You're in a danger zone. Be careful. And so there's a reason it's bringing us back to restoration. And that's really the hard thing. It didn't make me mad that it hurt when Don grabbed my arm when I realized that he just saved me from falling off of a 30-foot platform. Would it have made you mad? Probably not. But why do we get so angry? We get so angry at people who want to warn us. We feel like they're attacking us, but it's really just saying, hey, I love you. I see that you are in danger. I know that you are walking a path that is really, really risky. And then we get mad because it's uncomfortable and it hurts. And we fail to see that what they're really doing is rescuing us from the danger that we are right on the edge of. Man. We have got to get to a point where we are willing to hear it. And I know, I know it's not easy. I know that I'm asking something that is absolutely impossible. I'll explain a little bit more later why I think it's impossible. And I know it's uncomfortable to hear. I know you're sitting there going, man, that's a great story. Yeah, I can see saving somebody. But then we hear it. And there it is again, right? That uncomfortable pushback that we just don't want to hear what somebody else is telling us. But you know, we don't just need people to walk alongside us and warn us because of the dangers that we don't know or our own sin nature. We need people that can walk alongside us and that we're willing to submit to because we have an enemy. We have an enemy that is absolutely out to seek and destroy us. And we live as though it's not true. I was just talking to Herman before church this morning, and we were we were talking, and we were just talking about bike riding because we're going to go on a long ride this afternoon, and I am scared to death of road riding. Just people are careless, okay? But that's what it's like, right? Like, we're on that road, and it's not like people are just kind of, oh, hey, there you are, I'm walking on. It's like we have a car on the road coming at us intentionally. That is Satan. It is not a byproduct of life when something like that happens. Satan is absolutely out to destroy us and our integrity and our walk before Christ so that others look at us and say, why do I want that? 
2 Corinthians 11:13 says, "For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore it is not surprising if his certain servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds." Satan is tricky. He is a scary dude. You ever been in one of those situations where you're just not sure the intentions of somebody? They they seem like they might be okay. They seem like maybe they have our interests, best interests at heart, but we just can't see. That's really what Satan does. He's like he's going to masquerade as an angel of light. I'm going to make you think that this is for your good. I'm going to make you think that you're okay. I'm going to make you think you're not in danger when you unclip yourself from the tree. I'm going to make you think it feels good, and that feeling good for the moment is worth it for the rest of your life. And he's tricky. But Peter doesn't mince words. I love Peter. He gets right to it. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Say it is. Be submissive. And all of you, okay, so... We just told younger men, be submissive to your yellow, ye- elders, but now it's all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. You can't be submissive without humility. He's saying, okay, I've told the younger men to listen to the older men, but now I'm really telling all of you, be submissive to one another, be humble toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore... Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober of spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Prowls around like a roaring lion. We know what it's like to be attacked. We know what it's like to have that person who just always taking digs at us, always seeming like they're throwing stuff out in front of us to make us stumble or angry or trip up. Man, we know that. Gosh, you guys in high school probably really feel that, right? But uh, people keep saying it gets better when you get out of high school, but sometimes that's just not true because it gets worse because then you're expected to know how to deal with it well, right? Like, because then somebody is out attacking you and you want to throw that punch or you want to throw that, 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 or hit, kick, or scream, or cry, and you're just like, people are like, oh, you're a teenager, it's okay, no big deal, but, you know, we do that as an adult, and that's not good, but that's exactly what Satan does, and sometimes we just don't know it, we just don't see it, and we can't, because he's disguising himself as an angel of light, and that's where, when we have people in our lives who we trust and can turn to, we can listen to what they have to say. I cannot tell you how many times I've had people say, Stacy, that's just not true. And then they speak the truth of God to me, and I'm like, oh, that's so much better because Satan is telling me lies all the time. I don't know about you. Satan is telling you lies all the time, probably. 
And there are probably lies that you are succumbing to. And I don't know what that is for you. It may be a lies about how that bottle will help the rest of your life feel better or how whatever sitting over here is going to make you feel good for the rest of the day and help you escape. It may be a lie that you are worthless because you don't have any encouragement from your job or at home or you have a spouse who's not encouraging you in your walk. I don't know what lies Satan is talking to you about. But when you have somebody in your life who can speak truth to you, that is when you are able to combat every lie that Satan is throwing at you. But until we are willing to put ourselves in a position to hear it, it's not going to mean anything. We have to put ourselves in a place where we can hear it, and it has to be people that we know we can trust. And then James 4, 7 says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. And that's the best news If we are willing to submit to God, Satan will flee. We don't even have to fight Satan, right? Satan's going to flee when we submit to God. And sometimes God's word comes through scripture. And sometimes God's word comes through another person willing to speak that truth in our lives. And that's where when it says submit to God, we have to say, is this word of scripture what we're submitting to? Or is this word of encouragement and rebuke or warning that somebody is telling me something that I need to submit to? And as we submit to God, Satan flees. And we never have to lift a finger against him. He's just gone. I absolutely love it. Will you show the video? What do you want us to do, Hopper? We have no ships left. We have one. We've got a battleship. Are you crazy? That's a museum. Not today. ship is 70 years old is totally outdated the firing systems are all analog the engines haven't been started in a decade which would be fine but there's steam which i have no idea how to fire up and even if i had a user's manual in six weeks to go through it all we still don't have enough crew to fire it up i don't know what you're thinking sir so much to your country and no one has the right to ask any more of you but I'm asking what do you need son need to borrow your boat
sir. What the f- are you gonna stand here staring at me? Get your damn eye on that spider. Eye on spider, sir. Been working on a destroyer, haven't you? Yes, sir. Are you ready to play with the big boys? Oh, yes. Come on, we need the help. Awesome. Let's cover your ears. Okay, so this is a little bit of the result of being trapped in my house for a couple of weeks and being afraid to drive in the snowstorm that was coming just in case I got like a whole two miles away and couldn't get home. So I was stuck at home watching um, just whatever was on TV when I got tired of listening to the CNN repeat. Oh, do you just not get excited? It pumps you up, right? They do a great job with the music that leads you and you get the thumping and it's going in front. But here's the thing. The guy that's got the blood down his face and they're like, man, we don't have a ship. What do you want to do? And he looks back and he's like, we've got one. And they're like, are you crazy? Here's what you need to know about him. At the beginning of the movie, Hopper was one of the most arrogant you-know-whats that you could have met in this movie. Like, they hated him. Hated him. Because he didn't listen to anybody. He only cared about himself. He only wanted what he wanted. And then he really learned what it was like to submit when he started watching all the ships blow up in the water. And then it got really bad because he turned and he watched as one of the alien rocket things came and it hit the ship that his brother was on. The one person in his life that he carried about was his brother and he was gone. And so he's learning submission and humility the hard way. And he's like, I don't have a boat. What am I going to do? At least he admitted it, right? At least he knew that he was in a point. He recognized that he was in a battle. And it was not just a little battle. It was a fight for his life. And that's where we stand every day. We are in a fight for our lives. And when he realizes this, he looks around and he's like, oh, there's a boat left. There's one ship out there that's left that we can fight with. And so they get on, and the, and the big guy um, gets up there like, Man, this is old. It's outdated. We can't use this. It's useless. And even if we could use it, I don't know how. Man, how much of us stand there and go, It's the Bible. The Bible's thousands of years old. It can't be practical for my daily life right now. It's outdated. It's useless. And uh, even if it wasn't, I don't really know how to hear from God through Scripture. And then what happens, right? He's standing there and he's hearing this voice of opposition. We can't do this. But he looks and he sees Soldier after soldier after soldier after soldier. And they walk down those steps and they're like, what do you need? All because he was willing to submit and recognize that he couldn't fight life on his own. And you know what's even better? This was on one of those where they tell you what's really going on in the movies thing. So I learned a lot that day. But all of these guys, the USS Missouri, they they really filmed on a real World War II battleship. It was one of the ships that was in the harbor that day when Japan bombed Hawaii. And those men, they were real 
World War II vets. Man, they knew what it was like. They knew the fight. They knew it close and personal and uphand, and they knew how dirty war could be. But they still dug right in there with them. But it would not have happened if Hopper had not learned humility and had not learned submission and taken it and said, I need you guys. I don't know how to do this. I can't do it without you. And that's where we are. We've got to learn. It's not easy. I'm not going to pretend that it is. Sometimes it takes some type of destruction for us to learn this submission and this humility. I hope it doesn't. Okay, I'm going to pray that that is not where we are today. I'm going to pray that you learn and practice it before you get there. But if you're there, put it into practice now. Recognize that you have soldiers. Each brother and sister in Christ is your fellow soldier. They call them ranger buddies. If you're in the rangers, they're there fighting with you. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I look around at the people in my life, if I'm going to war, I got people I can talk to. I've got people that are going to call me, come at my call and say, what do you need? Find those people, have them be somebody that, you know, you can walk alongside. And if you don't have them come talk to me, I'll be that person. You may not know me for Adam, but I'll be the start for you. Mark will be the start for you. Scott will be the start for you. You could probably look to your left and your right at any seat in this room and find a fellow soldier who is willing to walk the battle with you and fight and dig in knowing that it's not easy, knowing that they're going to get dirty and knowing that they're going to get messy. But it all starts with our willingness to submit. But we still reject it, right? Like we see these things and we reject it time and time again because it's just hard. It's just uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. Um, We feel like... We're just giving up a piece of power. But submission is not subjection, okay? It is not someone lording power over us or wielding it in a way that gives us no choice or escape. That's not submission. That's subjection. Submission is a voluntary attitude of giving in or yielding to someone else's advice or direction. I love that. A voluntary attitude of giving in or yielding to someone else's advice or direction. We yield to people's advice and direction all the time. The red light, the yellow light says slow down and the stop sign says stop so we don't get hit on the road. Or the doctor says, hey, you need to start taking this medicine to keep your blood pressure in check or but so you can get over the flu. We will be gladly accepting of those types of accountability and submit to those instructions. But we resist and give a pushback when it is a change in our life because we don't want to give anybody else control over what we're doing. But it doesn't matter whether it's submitting to someone who's pointing out our sin and attempting to steer us or encourage us from a fight with the devil or simply encouraging us to love God and love others. Our resistance to submission is really this power struggle. In our pride, we see submission as a point of weakness. We think 
There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine the way I am. Nothing needs to change. And if I admit that it does, then it admits that I am weak and I am wrong. We see submission as losing power or control. We feel like we don't have any power at all if we are submitting to someone else, but that's absolutely not true. What it really is is saying, I know the power I have at the moment is not what I need, and I'm going to surrender to the power that I know that you you can offer and give me. We've seen it time and time again where somebody is abusing their power over someone who is in subjection to them. And so oftentimes we resist submission because we feel like it's surrendering to an abuse of power or control. I think one of the biggest reasons that we refuse to submit is we simply just don't want to give up our own desires. We don't want to push back against what it is we want. Well, what it is we think feels good or what it is really does feel good, but we know is not healthy for us in the long run. And ultimately, submission is countercultural and contrary to our human nature. Our culture tells us over and over again, be an individual. You don't have to follow someone else. Don't let somebody else tell you how to live your life. And our human nature from the fall says, you need to resist God because he's holding back on you. You, you, can't, you can't follow him. He's not really giving you all the knowledge and all the truth you need. But worldly submission focuses on authority and who holds the power. But biblical submission seeks to make others' interests more important than our own. And when it's done in humility and mutuality, we're willing to hear and receive the instruction, knowing the other person has our best interest at heart. I love the statement in the song this morning that said, when we're feeling condemned, our sin is covered. See, we can't have a covering until we've admitted and submitted to the rebuke, reproof, or warning that someone may be offering in our life. But it is when we can submit to that that our shame is covered. We're forgiven and we can move on and we can move forward. But that only comes from a willingness to submit. Humility and submission are the antithesis to pride and sin. how we battle it. That's how we battle the struggles in our lives is with a humble heart submitting to the word of God and the word of God through other people. Sin is the outpouring of a prideful heart, resisting what God has to say to us. But submission is the outpouring of a humble heart, one that's willing to hear and accept, yield to the advice of another. I think it's really, really important that we understand what healthy submission looks like. Because I'm not at all telling you, go and listen and do everything that every other person tells you to do, right? Like, we know that there is inherent danger in doing that. But we have to understand that submission is voluntary. Nobody can make us submit. That's subjection, right? 
but we choose to submit, knowing that our choice in the end can rescue us, knowing that it's for our good. Submission is personal, okay? I can't, nobody can force us, that's voluntary, it's personal, it's our submission, it's not somebody else's. I can stand here all day long and not a word that I say is going to matter unless you choose to take action. I cannot make you do it. Nothing I can say can make you do it. And that's why I said earlier, submission is really impossible. Because we just can't do it. We cannot do it alone. I think Ephesians 5, 18 and 21 says it really well. Because the command there, most of us know this, be filled with the Spirit. We know that, be filled with the Spirit. And then there's a few commands that come after that. And then depending on the version you read, it says submit to one another. Sometimes it says submitting, but the command is actually be filled with a spirit. And then we can act in submitting. It is not a command to submit. Submitting is only possible when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the only way it's going to work. We have to submit to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and then we can receive the Word of God, and then we can receive what other people are saying to us. Submission is mutual. Notice it says one another in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another, and it's helpful, and it's helpful in a number of ways. I told Mark this morning that I was totally going to use this as as a sermon illustration this morning. And I'm really glad Deidre's not in here because I didn't want to out you this morning in front of Deidre. So we're sitting here this morning just kind of getting ready. And this light right here in the middle goes out. So Mark goes and gets the light bulb thing and he unscrews it and the tip breaks off. Okay. So it's all the way up in the ceiling. It's really far away, right? And the tip is broken off. So Mark goes and gets the ladder and he climbs up on the ladder. And Mark's a tall guy. So... On this ladder, he can actually get up on the ladder and have his knees hitting the edge and reach the light bulb, okay? He's just, he's kind of straining a little bit, even for as tall as he is. So he's like, I can't pull that out with a napkin in my hands, which is what he tried first. So then he goes and he gets a wrench. Yep, metal, on metal, with the electricity on. So he gets the wrench and he reaches up there and the shower of sparks rains down around him. I'm kidding. It wasn't really a shower. It was more like one or two, but that's what it felt like. And the rest of us were like, hey, just turn the power off. We can do it. Just turn the power off. He's like, no, I've done this before. (laughs) Okay. So you've done it before and you survived that time. It's surely safe for you to do it again, right? (laughs) So submission is finally... Richard, he, he waits long enough. Richard comes and flips the switch, right? Submission. He waited. He submitted. And so then there was no electricity. At least when he's up there, he might fall, but he's not going to electrocute himself anymore, all right? So submission is helpful. It's physically helpful. Sometimes we just got to listen to other people. But not only is submission helpful physically, it's also helpful spiritually. 
um, I think I missed getting this one in there, James. Most of you will know it, but James five fourteen through 16. Is anyone among you sick? And then it goes on to say, um, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for, for one another that you may be healed. This could mean physical healing. If Mark had electrocuted himself, he might have needed prayer for physical healing. But I really don't think that's what James is saying here. I think James is saying that ability to be in relationship and confess our lives to one another gives us an opportunity to be healed spiritually. It helps restore our relationship to God and man when we are in that accountability relationship that we have trusting with others walking alongside of us. So here's what it comes down to. We have to have a submissive heart. And it's an action. Okay? We have to be filled. Command. Be filled. God's going to act in us. Be filled. We have to be willing to trust people. Some of us have been burned bad. I get it. You've turned told somebody your deepest, darkest secret and they betrayed you or something happened and they saw it and they told somebody else. Now everybody knows. I get it. I know. But we've got to learn to trust each other. And we also have to learn to trust the hard things people say to us. Proverbs 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Sometimes it's not the good stuff we need to hear. Sometimes it's the hard stuff that we need to hear, and we can trust it. And we need to be willing to listen. Proverbs 12, 28, or 12, 15, the way of a fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs 13, 18, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. We have to set our hearts to hear what other people are saying and know that it's spoken in love and meant for our good. But the attitude of a submissive heart is humility. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit to yourself, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submission is not possible until we are willing to humble ourselves before God and man. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not possible until we do it. So I spent a lot of time today talking about what it it sounds like to submit and be accountable. And usually that's where every accountability thing goes, right? Like, don't do this. Have somebody help you stop doing this. Help you have somebody keep you from doing A, B, C, and D and meet with them every week and confess how bad you are and let them tell you, yes, you've done bad, you need to do better, right? But that's really not what submission is all about. Submission is about transformation. It's not about controlling our conduct It's about transforming our character. 
God ultimately doesn't care exactly what we do day in and day out. It's true. We are accountable for our actions. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. There is a style of life that we are to uphold. We are supposed to be holy because he is holy. But it starts with a transformed heart. That's where it has to begin and end. And that's where our willingness to submit to somebody else has to to come. I think it's so interesting. I was reading something um, the other day, and it said 90% of people who leave behavioral change programs revert to former behavior. 90%. That's crazy. See, changing your behavior is not going to matter. It doesn't matter what kind of accountability relationship you are in. Or if you're even submitting to it, if it isn't changing more than your behavior, if it on, if it's only changing your behavior, it's not going to matter. It's got to change your heart. I don't know how to say it any better than that. I would like... To have the perfect formula for you on submission. I would like to tell you that it's easy and comfortable. And it's the best thing you will ever do. But here's what I can tell you. I've been that person on the edge of a cliff. With people looking at me going, I think she's about to fall off. But I'm not going to say anything. Man, I wish they had. Because I did. Right? I didn't just fall off. Like, I took a fly and leap thinking that I could fly. Like, I was Iron Man or something, and the jets were going to propulsion right out of my feet. And I could not do it. And they, I had people, people I considered friends, sit by and watch me do it. And I look back and I'm like, I wish somebody had taken the hard road. And I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have been submissive enough to hear it. Maybe I wouldn't have had the humble heart I needed had they done so. But man, if you can find that in you to be humble and submissive through the power of the Holy Spirit, you might just have a friend who's willing to save you from falling off the cliff. I love what Bill Hull has to say. Um, Really quite beautiful. He says, Submission requires checking my autonomy at the door and allowing the other person to help me keep my commitments to God. That's what it's all about. Checking our autonomy and loving God, loving people and keeping our commitments to him. The genius of submission in a discipleship relationship is that it's a two-way street. No one is master. Both are servants of Jesus and both benefit greatly from the relationship. Generally, one person is more seasoned and might be considered the lead teacher, the one who teaches the other person what it means to follow Jesus. This kind of relationship provides the strength required to hold us together as we face challenges to our faith. If we don't have this kind of support, an event or crisis can shake our faith and send us into a destructive downfall. We'll probably emerge later, but much time, even years, is lost. 
Without submitting themselves to this kind of community, even well-intentioned believers drift and find themselves nearly comatose spiritually, numbed by years of religious activity without transformation. Guys, find it within you to partner with people who are willing to help you keep your commitments to God. If you are in that place where you are struggling and battling, find somebody to pray with you and walk alongside. That one little step can change your life. I love it. That as hard as it is, it has the best benefit in the world of restoration and fellowship with God and with other people. Remember, we are in a battle. And it's not just a little skirmish. It's a fight for our lives. Jesus, our hearts really, truly must find humility. But it is only through your power and your love and your grace that we are able to do that when we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. God, I ask that you help us know and understand that those uncomfortable rebukes and warnings and admonitions are not for our harm, but that we really do need to be open to hearing what you are saying, what other people are saying, and what you are saying through other people. God, teach us to be the people that can hear and listen and accept and allow you to transform our lives. In Jesus' name.